The following is a Thunderbolt West Media production. If you're thinking of becoming a homesteader, then I think you're going to find this show very informative. You are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show with Jim Calhoun. The storm was coming, the sky was on fire, fear was in their eyes. It's my opinion that we should be prepared to lean on our faith and be able to step out on the sea. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. This show features off-grid topics such as creating your own power, gardening, homesteading, and other issues related to off-grid living. I also seek to educate my listeners about survival and prepping, and I'll talk about anything from government corruption to chemtrails. Also, I feel that our constitutional republic is worth saving so I never miss an opportunity to do my part in helping to save our republic. I have two main goals for this show. Number one, to help you build your faith in God. And number two, to help each listener become as self-sufficient as possible. This show originates at the Harmony Barn Studios, located near Hershey, Nebraska, in the United States of America. The Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show airs on global shortwave stations WBCQ, Monticello, Maine, at frequency 7.490, and also on WRMI, Radio Miami International, on frequency 5850. And you can tune in to Key Radio, 89.3 FM, in Osage Beach, Missouri. And this show is also available on demand, on Spreaker, Anchor, Podpoint, Podpage, and Red Circle. My email address is jim at offgridliving.faith and be sure to visit my website, which is offgridliving.faith. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I really appreciate it. And today I've got some emails I'm going to answer, and also I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the projects that I've had going on here, kind of give you an update. But before I do that, I want to tell everybody that This show is going to be centered around a certain email from John. And John had a very wonderful email. And in his email, he expressed his desire to someday be able to have the opportunity to be self-sufficient and go off-grid. He's got a rather large family with five children. And it's awful hard when you have a spouse and five children to care for. And so I dedicate this show to John, and I wish him all the best and Godspeed in getting his goals realized. And so this show is primarily going to be driven by that one email that I got, because it's very intriguing, and it's going to take the whole show for me to get through this. But before I start on that, I want to say a very huge thank you to Wendell. And Wendell is a listener, 
And if you recall, I believe last week I was talking about things in the ether. And that's how sometimes you pick things up. It's just out there. Well, I had it on my mind to build my own generator. And so I started scrounging around to see what I had here on the ranch to see what I could build. And I had an old motor that was built back in about 1950, 1951, in that era. And it's a Briggs and Stratton Model 26A. And it's got a cast iron block. And it had zero compression. As I explained in an earlier episode, I found that it had a valve that was stuck open. And when I got the valve freed up, all I had to do was do a general cleanup of the carburetor. And on the first pull, that engine roared back to life. No smoking, no problems whatsoever. It did develop a small leak at the fuel bowl, so I had to build a fuel bowl gasket for it. But I have that project all the way done and tested, and it works great. And since God put it on my heart that I really needed this backup unit, well, Wendell happened to bless me with some power-generating equipment. And I know that it's a blessing from God, and I really do appreciate Wendell and his support. He's a great supporter of the show, and I consider him a dear friend, because he goes above and beyond, and I really do appreciate it. I was almost done with my project when UPS came and delivered all of this power generating equipment. But I decided I'd go ahead and finish my little project as well. And what I did to get the RPMs up for this alternator, because it's a 24 volt alternator, I put a 9 inch pulley on the motor. And so at an idle, it'll spin that alternator fast enough to put a charge in my batteries. And in an idle, it hardly uses any gas at all. I was very surprised of how quiet this old 1950s era engine actually is. Matter of fact, it's so quiet that it's very easy just to ignore it. And I've started it about five times, and every time it started on the first pull. And that never happens with me, so I'm very happy with that. But I'm going to have to do some irrigating at night. And so I think what I'm going to do is use Wendell's equipment for producing the show and keeping the power going on cloudy days and things like that, because I think that's the best thing for that. But if I want to have something run all night long and just run at a really slow idle, and I'm talking extremely slow, but still generate power, I think I'll go with my old engine for night irrigating and then use the equipment that Wendell sent for other things. But in any case, I have no excuse now for not getting anything done because I have backups to my backups now. And believe me, that's the way to be. And so thank you, Wendell. Much appreciated. And God bless you. And next episode that I do for Truth to Ponder, it's going to be episode 100. And that's coming up this Wednesday on Truth to Ponder. So I'm trying to think of something special to do for my 100th broadcast with Bob Bierman show, Truth to Ponder. And I do have to say that Bob Bierman is a very wonderful man, and he's got a very worthwhile ministry. And if you haven't listened to Truth to Ponder, you really need to check out that website, which is truth, the number two, ponder.com. And he's got all the episodes up on the website, so please check out Truth to Ponder if you haven't already. Okay, I'm going to address John's email. And John starts out with something that's very true. He said that our country's going more backwards than forwards. And definitely, he's spot on with that. And I'm going to tell you the goals that 
John would like to have. He'd like to be more self-sufficient, be able to grow his own food, and and to be able to live off-grid if he has to. And he'd like to know my daily techniques and my survival methods and, and how I acquire food and the cost of animals and the care of the animals and the and he mentions bulls and cows and chickens and ducks, goats and sheep and pigs and whole menagerie there. And he'd also like to know how you know how to find out how your land is fertile to grow certain crops. And if you really look at this whole list, it is definitely a very full show. And so I'm going to probably skip around a little bit because normally that's what I do anyway. And it works for me. I hope it works for you. But I'm going to try to stay on point with this email. But some of the rabbit trails that I'm going to go on today are going to be more of a philosophy type of a thing and and maybe some of my rules of thumb and the way I reason, the way I think, why I do things the way I do. And then that will hopefully help clarify the information I'm going to give. First of all, I think that doing everything that John wants to do is what everybody needs to do right now. I really do think that we are in for a world of hurt. And as I'm recording this, Bakhmut is getting incinerated. I just went to Hal Turner's website and watched a 25-second video of what I believe hell would look like if you were looking down upon hell. And I pray for the poor souls that are being incinerated. It's not good. And the world is not good. Things are going the wrong direction. As John said, they're going backwards really fast. And I have to apologize. My voice is a little bit off tonight. It's been real dusty. It did rain. We got a quarter of an inch, so thank you for the prayers for the rain. And before I walked into the studio, I see that there's other rain clouds that seem to be forming, so maybe tonight we'll get a little bit more. But it's been so dry here that it dried out pretty quick, and I was out sorting cows by myself in the dust, and those cows kicked up so much dust, and I breathed it in, and and I'm back to my throat doing odd things because of the dust, but anyway, we'll all get through it. Well, some of the main things that I think you need to get your head around as far as a headspace is you have to be able to do with what you have. And don't look across the fence and see what the neighbor has. Forget about the neighbor. Forget about anybody else. Just concentrate on you. If you can do that, then you have a chance of being able to be successful in what you're trying to do. But if you buy something because the neighbor bought it, or your family member, or whoever, if you're trying to just mimic other people, I'm going to tell you right now you're going to fail. Because living off-grid is a very personal thing. It has to be personalized to you and your family. And just because it works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you whatsoever. But I can steer you the right direction. I'm going to start out with an example. You know how when they come up with a new cell phone, a new version, they call it an upgrade, and people will stand in line for hours and hours and They want to be the first one to have this new phone, this new generation of technology. And then after a year or two, they come out with a new one. And then all of a sudden, this item you stood in line for, for hours, you now think it's junk. Oh, I don't like this. I got to go get the new model. And so you run off and do the same thing. If that's how you operate, 
I don't see how you can be successful being off-grid. Because life doesn't work that way. This is just my opinion, and I'm not trying to insult anyone. But people that live from fad to fad or technology upgrade to technology upgrade, and they always have to try to keep up with everything, I think those people are basically brainwashed into being a consumer, and you are being farmed. The big companies know that you're going to put out the money, whatever they ask, and so they come out with a different product, and you're going to buy it. They know it, and so that's why they do it. So here's my mindset. The first generation of smartphones, when they first came out, were amazing. They could do hundreds of things that couldn't be done before on a handheld device. A truly amazing piece of technology. But by the time the second generation rolled around, people were ready to throw that one in the trash and get the next generation. And they just keep doing that over and over. But what I'm getting at is that how many people took full advantage of all the features that the first generation phone had? Maybe you used it to do some internet. Maybe you used it to take some pictures, made a phone call or two, sent a text or two. And that's the majority of people. Some people use theirs for business and they keep a lot of records on their phone. And, and I understand if you're using a phone for business, that you probably do need to stay pretty current so your phone can communicate seamlessly with other phones of that same technology. But I'm talking about personal use. If you didn't use the one phone's version to its full potential, and all you're using it for is just day-to-day -day use as far as the pictures and the texts and things, the new version you're going to get, you're going to use it the same way you did the old version. And all this new, fancy, wonderful things you're never going to use. And so I'm really big on keeping what you have and optimizing. Really study what you have. The technology that you have, study it. Learn it inside and out. Become an expert at the technology you now own. Now if it slips away and gets obsolete and it's no longer supported, well then you have to move on. But the program I'm recording on right now is called WaveShop. And a lot of people, if they remember back into the 1990s and early 2000s, WaveShop was fairly popular. And it's an open source program. And it was very soon knocked out by GarageBand and Audacity and some of the other open source programs out there. But I love WaveShop and I record with it. And also I edit with this program. Well, I've learned this program inside and out. And this program can do many things that no other program can do that are very unique to WaveShop. So I really went prospecting for gold inside the program and really learned it. And I don't think there's any other program, whether you pay for the program or it's open source, that can match some of the features that I just love with WaveShop. Now, just take that example and take it to the next item. If you have a car or a pickup that you know how to fix, one that you can do your own brake work or your own U-joints or anything like that, well, then why do you want to trade your car for something you can't work on? Almost all of my technology is extremely old. And I have several people who said, well, you're stuck in a time warp. Well, no, I'm not stuck in a time warp. 
I'm stuck in a technology time period that I not only understand, but I thrive in. And so if you take me as a mechanic and a fabricator and all the things that I can do with my hands and put me with the modern technology, I'm as helpless as a one-day-old kitten. As a matter of fact, I tried to help someone jumpstart their car, and I could not even find their battery. It was a brand-new car. And I was so embarrassed. I looked and looked, and I just could not find the battery. I later found out that that car was not ever meant to be jumped because of the touchy computers it had in it, so I'm glad I didn't help this person out. But I did try, but it was embarrassing. And so I stick with technology I understand. And I can't even tell you the last time I used a mechanic as far as took something in to have someone fix it. It's probably been over 30 years ago. And I do my own tires. I do my own engine work. I just got through with my project with my little generator. I had to fabricate engine mounts. And I weld with what's called positive ground welding. So I don't even use my welder when I weld. I weld directly off my battery bank. And each project I do that, I get a little bit better at it. It's really hard to do, but once you catch on, I don't miss having a welder at all because I just pull up close to my battery bank and run my leads out there and weld whatever I need to weld. And another thing that's an old-time kind of a headspace is that years ago, if you wanted to be a farmer, you would buy your implements and your tractors or what have you to, to be able to work your land. And let's say you bought a plow. Well, the company that made the plow never had the concept of selling you another plow. They made that plow so well that it would last you a lifetime and pretty likely your son's and grandson's lifetime as well. And I have proof of that because I'm using my great-grandfather's machinery even yet. As a matter of fact, tomorrow I'm going to use an implement that's out of 1915 that my great-grandfather bought brand new. And it still functions just like it did back in 1915. And the ground doesn't care when it was built, and it does a great job. You might say, well, how do these companies plan on staying in business? Well, it's by word of mouth that they would hope that you'd like the product enough, you would tell your neighbors and family and so forth, and all the farmers in your sphere of influence would go buy that brand of plow. But you see, the modern way of doing things is selling you something that you have to replace. And that's the mindset you have to totally get off of if you want to be self-sufficient. In other words, find a system, find something that's very comfortable to you, and don't listen to the naysayers and the people that badmouth you and tell you that you're stuck in the past and, and people that tell you that you need to get with the program and, and they try to tell you what century that you're living in. And definitely it's not the 21st century. You let those kind of people go ahead and have bills in their mailbox. And here's another thing that is a mindset. I might have one or two bills a year come in the mail. And it's generally the property taxes and the yearly car insurance. Other than that, I have no bills that come in the mail because I pay my way with cash. And so if you try to build things on credit, I know some people can make it work. I'm not one of them. And so I can't relate with doing that. And so you have to get your mindset correct as you're going to have to be comfortable in your own shoes and not worry about what the world says. Because the world is not paying your bills. The world does not share your sleepless nights. The world does not share your concerns. 
and so you have to take care of you and your family. And a concept that I have of going off-grid, I guess there's three parts to this. Number one, start studying. Learn everything you possibly can from as many sources as you can, not just me. Listen to everybody that's off-grid that you can. Seek out lots of people with really good videos and also some podcasts concerning homesteading. And really put yourself through school. That doesn't cost you anything but time. And so after you put the kids to bed, spend a half hour or an hour each evening and just soak in everything you can. Take notes if you have to. And realize that you can't be everything. You can't do everything. You can't want to be everything. And so you have to pray about it and let the Lord put it on your heart of which direction you should go. And an example is, he mentioned cows and bulls and chickens, ducks, goats, sheep, and pigs. Well, if you try to do that, you're going to fail. So you might pick one or two, three at the most, of types of animals, and become an expert at that kind of an animal. Unless you like to eat goat meat or drink goat's milk, forget the goats. Goats are cute, they're kind of fun to have around, but they can be a nuisance. And later on, I'm going to get into specifics on the animals. But don't overcomplicate things, and keep it simple, but start studying. Number two, I guess I kind of touched on it. Keep it simple, keep it direct, keep it real. Everything that you plan to do, everything that you want to become as far as self-sufficient, make sure that in your heart, you know that you know that you can handle it. And a good example is I've just got finished building my conversion of my bicycle into a motorized bike. And I got a whole box of parts and no instructions. And it took me a while to figure out where everything went. And I've only got two parts that I haven't put on yet that I have no clue where they go. And so I have to sit back and scratch my head and figure that out. But I've watched enough videos of how to install and how to break in the motor and how to ride that I feel like I'm on my second or third time of building one of these bikes when in fact it's my first time. But I spent about 20 hours doing nothing but watching video after video for about a week. I do that each evening and I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up in the morning and retain I would say at least three-fourths of it. Then when I'd go look at my box of parts, I could identify my parts and know exactly where they went, almost like I had built one of those bikes before. And you need to have that same mindset of going off-grid or building a farmstead. You have to keep learning. This whole idea that you graduate from high school or college or wherever you graduate from, that you're done learning, is ludicrous. I can say I've learned more in the last 10 years than I did the previous 20 years or 30 years combined. It's because I've been studying very hard. And so do your book work, read your articles, watch your videos, and stay away from negative people. Really stay away from negative people. Because they can derail you faster than you could possibly imagine. Now here's my third little secret of becoming self-sufficient. It's not like you're going to be totally sufficient on something one day and totally self-sufficient the next. Life does not work that way. 
And so as you study and learn, start putting things into practice, one thing at a time. Baby steps. Let's say that you learn how to can vegetables. You don't have to be a farmer or a gardener to can vegetables. You can buy from someone who is a gardener, or you can go to a farmer's market or something like that, or you can go buy raw vegetables in bulk from your grocery store and take it home and can it. If your grocery store has a sale on carrots, well, go ahead and buy 10 or 15 packages of carrots and take them home and can them. Live as if you are already off-grid and live as if you are already self-sufficient, one item at a time. And don't try to learn everything at once and do everything at once. Choose one thing that you want to do. He mentions he wanted to be able to grow his own food and wanted to know my methods of growing food. And I'm going to get into that the second half of the show, but I wanted to set everything up here to kind of tell you the philosophy of the whole thing the way I see it. And another thing that I would highly recommend is to take one day per week and safely shut down all your computers and everything that you don't want to spike them and take care of your electronics that you don't want to have them be hurt by when you throw the power switch off and back on again later. So you power down any sensitive gear and one day a week for 24 hours. Throw your power switch. Now before you do that, get a secondary way to cook your food and to keep your house warm or cool or whatever you need to do for climate control. Learn which windows you need to open or close, which rooms are warmer than others. Maybe that's one night a week you can do a hobby with your hands and you can use hand tools instead of power tools to work on your project. Make the whole day as fun and productive as you can but each time you do that, you're going to build that mindset of what it takes to get through that day. And simply living off-grid is living one day at a time, going from one day to the next as successful as you possibly can. And if you plan on going off-grid with solar or wind generation, or if you have a way to do hydroelectric, well, you can take one day a week and live totally just off of your own power that you generate. But if you're going to spend that kind of money as far as putting a system together, I would do that every day, and I would only use the on-grid power for your large things, such as your heating and air conditioning and maybe freezers. But I've been off-grid for over 12 years now, and I would never go back on-grid. I know that the cost of electricity as far as buying it from a utility company, the prices are skyrocketing. And when I went off-grid 12 years ago, I had two different services. I had two different meters. And I paid $150 per pole each month. So I had a $300 a month bill, which is $3,600 a year. And I've been off-grid for 12 years. So you take 3600 times 12, and that's a pretty serious amount of change that I've been able to use that money for other things. And so that's my mindset, as you use baby steps and grow into who you want to be and how you want to put your whole project together. And one last thing I want to mention before I take my mid-show break is that you have to make sure that the whole family is involved. 
If you have family members that really do not want to go off-grid or really do not want to be self-sufficient, that can cause a lot of strife in a family. And so I would say family meetings, very positive and very frank, to the point, rubber meets the road, family meetings, to where everyone understands exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it, and make sure everyone's on board. And with young children, well, you can get them on board pretty easy by making your night that you shut your power off to be your fun night. It'll be a night where you could play charades or, and you could have a cookout and do family games and do things that people used to do. People used to get along a lot better than they do now. And I have to say that I think people were much happier back when things were simpler. So you're going to have to go back to a simpler era in your headspace. And also, that could be a night of reading or a night of painting. There's lots of things you can do with the power shut off, and you never even notice it. And then after a while, that will become normal. And that way, if we do lose power as far as the grid going down from an EMP and the situation with Russia and China are getting more critical by the hour, that you won't be caught totally flat-footed and off guard. And so I would say if you have any feelings of being self-sufficient and eventually going off-grid and growing your own food, we'll start right now by canning different things you buy at farmers markets, act like you have a garden, find out what animals you're interested in and why, start learning right now about their care before you even go buy anything, because you can't step from one world into another without some horrible growing pains unless you do your research. And so if you're dreaming of a homestead, that's where you start. You start where you're at right now. And I'm going to get into the money aspect and the animals and the care of the animals and the crops and everything when I come back. I invite you to visit my website, which is offgridliving.faith. And on that website, there's a link to where you can access every episode of the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. Once again, offgridliving.faith. And you can send me an email at jim at offgridliving.faith. And I do answer every email. If you enjoy the Living Off-Grid Powered Information Show, I would ask that you consider donating to the show to help cover expenses because we don't get paid here. This is all done by donations. And we do not take anything online as far as PayPal or any of that because of all the censorship. Not that they have shut us off. It's just I'm not going to give them the opportunity. So we're going to do it the old-fashioned way by mail check, money order, or if you want to put cash in a secure envelope, we would appreciate any donation, any size. Just send all your correspondence to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. That's Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143, and your support is greatly appreciated.
No! That's right. There's no dinosaur media here. Listening to the Living Off Grid Powered Information Show with Jim Calhoun. Welcome back to part two of the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. This is Jim Calhoun, and I really appreciate you tuning in today. Well, today we're talking about getting started with baby steps of being self-sufficient, going off-grid, and, and becoming a homesteader, and a few things that I have a listener that dearly wants to do. And I want to make something really clear right now. I am here to help. So anybody that wants to send me an email and ask me any questions, I'm more than happy to take the time and answer you in detail. Because the only reason I'm doing this show is to help. And it's not that I know everything, because I don't. As a matter of fact, I don't even know what I don't know a lot of times. But I do like to share my experiences. And I'd like to help you if I can. So just send me an email at jim at offgridliving.faith and I'll be happy to tackle any question you have for me. And I'll get back to you as soon as I can, which is usually within 48 hours. And I wanted to tell John that if I do not answer your email with this show, let me know what I missed, and I'll be more than happy to help you. I'm going to go right back to that email. He'd like to know my daily survival techniques. Well, everything that I do... I try to be as efficient as I can. And I try to save as many steps as I can. Because I'm pretty crippled up, and I have to admit, I have trouble walking some days. And people say, well, what are you out there taking care of cows and throwing bales of hay? And Well, if I was not doing that, I probably would be so arthritic I couldn't move, to be honest with you. So my daily techniques some days are just surviving the day. But how I do that is I try to be efficient. I don't try to go to town very often. When I do, I have a list. I make sure that I do everything I need to do on that one visit to town. If I'm working on a project, I make sure I have everything there handy, ready to go before I start the project. Just any little thing to help me along. So that's one thing you need to develop, and that's becoming very efficient with your systems that you use. And here's an example of that that pretty well will answer, I think, what he's trying to ask me. Is that between my front door and my barn, there are about 10 species of edible plants that grow as what most people would call weeds. But through my studies, I found out that most of the things that people call weeds and have been trying to kill for years are actually healthier for you than what you buy at a grocery store. And if people would rediscover those and start eating those, well, that's going to hurt some of the profits of some of the vegetable companies. And so they call them weeds, and if you tell someone you're eating them, 
Well, they think that you're like the equivalent of dumpster diving or something. They're turned off by it. There again, that's a learned response that these people who have been farming, all of us, for years, have devised ways to control how we think. And so if someone says, well, I'm going to go pick some lamb's quarter in my yard, and if you would turn the clock back earlier than around 1970, and you would say, oh, I'm going to go out in the yard and pick some lamb's quarter for supper, most people would say, oh, great, I love it, get some. They might even help you go pick it. But the people that raised children through the Great Depression, they had to forage. They had no choice. And after those people became grandparents in the 1960s and 1970s, that mere thought that they had to forage to survive was a very ugly reminder of their earlier life. And they didn't want to be reminded of it. And so that generation that actually survived by foraging was a generation that really was not on board with pushing it because it reminded them of the hardships. My grandma is the one that showed me a lot of these plants. She would go to her flower garden and she'd start pulling the weeds and come in and cook them. And she wasn't ashamed of it at all. But I know that when I told people that my grandma did that, well, they thought she was nuts. Well, when you talk about lamb's quarter, if you look at the nutritional value and compare that with spinach, it not only tastes better than spinach, it's much better for you than spinach. So why buy spinach? Go out and pick your lamb's quarter right out of your yard. So here's how I kind of use this efficiency method. I end the day by gathering the eggs the second time and taking them into the house in the bucket. In the morning, on the way to the barn, I forage. Like I say, i got four species that are growing between my front door and my barn. So I don't get very much, just enough for a meal or two, and I put it in a bucket. And then I take it and put it in a bag in the barn. And then I use that same bucket to water the chickens, and, and I feed grain to some of my older cows. And then after I get my chores done, I'll go ahead and gather my eggs and put them in the bucket. And then on the way back to the house, I'll go ahead and put another couple of days worth of foraging on top of the eggs, take it in the house, and I'll have the sack with me. Then I'll put all the foraging into the sack, and then I take the eggs out, and the bucket's there ready for the next time. And so I don't make it a point to go out and forage. I just forage in the morning between my front door and my barn. And most of the things that I do like to eat as far as foraged, those are my four favorites. There are other species of plants that grow within a 100 yards of my house that I will go out and maybe in the evening and go out with the dogs and I'll forage a little bit that way. But I try to stay very efficient that way. That way I get my chores done. I've done a little foraging. I've made some progress with survival. I've made some progress with caring for my animals. And so I don't try to do things as a singular type of an event. I try to combine everything. I pump my own water from my own well, and I'm going to drive a sand point for a shallow well because I'm only like 10 feet from the water table. And I'm going to get a small 12-volt solar pump so I can pump water to my cows through that shallow well. And I don't really recommend drinking from the shallow wells because a lot of ground contamination, if there's anything that's been sprayed or some runoff from the corrals that leaches down 10 feet, but as far as livestock water, it's fine. 
I try to mix my own feed if I can, but I do buy some commercial feed that is not spiked with any antibiotics or doesn't have any added hormones or anything like that. So I try to keep everything real natural. And so on a day-to-day basis, I'd have to say that I'm always thinking ahead of what really needs to be done. If I have a hole in my pantry that needs to be filled, I might spend an extra half hour or so foraging to try to get enough product to fill that void in my pantry. But I'd have to say that slow and steady is where you really need to strive to be. And you can't try to do it all in one day because it just isn't going to happen. And right now, if you're foraging, you need to go after the thistles and the cactus. And you need to go after the lamb's quarter and the curled dock and the dandelions. Those are the main ones right now. And also, if your area has mint, the mint is ready as well. But you can get mint almost any time of year. You can even find some green mint in the middle of winter. It's pretty shriveled, but it still has a nice minty flavor to it. So you have to become an expert at what plants grow in your area and make sure that you really know what you're picking because some plants can be harmful. And one plant that is horrible to pick is called stinging nettles, and that's about two months away from being ready. And stinging nettles are awful if you touch them. That's how they get their name, stinging nettles. They have a kind of a poison on them that really irritates your skin. And if your animals eat it, well, it can harm them. It can really mess up their digestive system. And if they're young animals, it can kill them. But yet, if you wear gloves and you pick the stinging nettles and boil them, you boil all that poison out of them, and stinging nettles actually are very good for you, and they taste great. But you have to know how to handle them. Same way with thistles and cactus. And since I mentioned thistles and cactus, The part of the thistles you want is the spine of the leaf, which is that large section that runs right through the center of the leaf. I'm not talking about the spines on the end. I'm not talking about the sharp stickers. I'm talking about the actual backbone of the leaf. And it takes a while to process it. You simply take and chop the leaves off as close to the center as you can. And, of course, you have to be wearing gloves. And then use a sharp knife or a razor blade or a pair of scissors and simply cut away the leafy part and keep that center. Now, if you have thistles growing in your area, go ahead and try one and eat it raw. Then you'll understand that that plant really does need to have that kind of protection, or else everything would eat it, because it's delicious. You can can these the way you can carrots or asparagus, or you can pickle them like you would pickles. Again, their only drawback is they are very time-consuming for the amount of product you get. And with the cactus, I'm talking about prickly pear cactus. They have very large spikes on them that really hurt when they stick into you. But those you can see and those you can avoid. It's the little ones that are almost microscopic by the hundreds of thousands that are on these prickly pear cactus that you get a lot of those in your hand and you can't hardly get them out because they're so small. And so the best way to harvest cactus is to use a shovel and go ahead and chop it about ground level, use gloves, go ahead and pick up what you want to harvest, and then take a torch, or if you have a burner on your stove like a gas burner, simply burn the spines right off that cactus. That'll take care of all of the things that are going to poke you, and it'll burn up all those spines you can't see. And after you've burned all of the stickers off the cactus, 
then you take the edge of the knife and you scrape the bumps off where the cactus spines were coming out. I guess you could call them like little green pimples because that's what they look like. They're little bumps. And you go ahead and scrape those off. And you can eat cactus raw. It's a little bit slimy, kind of like okra. And a lot of people are turned off by that. But in a lot of cultures, they'll go ahead and just fry it up like you fry potatoes. Or you can dice it and add it to your salad. It's extremely tasty, very fresh tasting. And other than the texture, it's probably my favorite vegetable. It's absolutely excellent. And another thing I use on a daily basis is I use hibiscus. You have to go to a store that is in a Mexican neighborhood that caters to a Mexican clientele, and they call it Jamaica. And I have several cups of hibiscus tea every day to control my blood pressure. But I'd have to say that my daily routine is just getting my systems down and making them work for me. And also not being so rigid that I can't change my game plan if I have to. Now as far as growing food, grow what you like. Grow things that are open pollinated and not GMO. And even if you don't have a farmstead, you can start a garden inside five-gallon buckets. You can take a couple old tires and fill them with loose soil and grow potatoes. And you can do that on the sidewalk, as long as you have six to eight inches of soil in that tire. So I would have to encourage you that if that's your goal is to grow your own food, go ahead and find out how to do it this year. And I know a lot of people grow tomatoes right in their flower gardens. And so if there's a will, there's a way. And the way I grow food is that I have everything close to where I water my cows, which last year my cows ended up eating my garden. And this year I'm rebuilding the fences totally. And hopefully, I won't have anybody get in and eat my garden again. But what I do is I run water in the morning. And I have several small tanks that take about 20 minutes per tank to fill up. And so what I do is I move one hose to another tank. And then I go garden for 20 minutes. And then I move the hose again and garden another 20 minutes. And then I call it a day. And it's just barely enough for me to keep ahead of the weeds. It keeps my efficiency at a higher level because I'm not just out with the cows watching the tanks fill. And so I would recommend you grow food this year, whatever you can. Study what kind of plants grow in your area that are edible and also medicinal. And go out and start foraging. And then learn how to dehydrate them, whether you use a sun or whether you buy a dehydrator. And learn how to store this food. That way, if you do get your homestead, you'll already have some systems in place. See what I'm getting at? Baby steps. But I think it's real important that you learn how to save your own seeds. I'm going to use beans for an example. If you like green beans, go ahead and grow some green beans. But don't harvest them all. Let some of them mature and go to seed. Make sure you have enough seed to last at least two years. Because it'll keep. That way, if you have a crop failure, you have your own seed bank. So I always try to keep triple the amount of seeds that I think I'm going to use. As a matter of fact, I don't throw any seeds away that I think are viable. And I know that I've got some seeds around here that probably will not germinate because they're so old. But at least I have the option of trying them if I have total crop failure for several years. So learn how to be a seed saver and get your own seed bank. And that's something the whole family can enjoy. 
and you can have a small garden on the terrace of an apartment if you put your mind to it. And every little thing that you can do to learn is going to help you grow. Now I'm going to get on to the animals. The cost of the animals are going to vary. But one thing you never want to do is tell anybody that you've never owned animals before. Don't tell anybody you're a newbie. Because you're going to have studied all your animals, and you're going to know exactly what you want and why you want it. And you're going to know what to look for. And you're going to know the going price of this kind of an animal. And so you're not going to go in there thinking that anyone's going to show you goodwill. A good example is way back in the Old West, a man sold another man a horse. And while the potential new owner was checking the horse out, the current owner said, Yeah, pretty good old horse. He don't look too good, but he's all right. Well, the guy bought him. Well, he found out later that the horse was blind. And he went back and told the guy, he said, you sold me a blind horse. He said, well, I told you, he didn't look very good. And I'm not sure if that's a true story or not, but that's the kind of thing you run into. There are a lot of greedy people out there, and if they have something they can unload on you, like a barren cow that hasn't had a calf in three years and, and is too old to butcher, and they say, oh, yeah, that's a great cow. You need this cow. Well, you're just going to buy a mouth to feed is all you're going to do. So you're going to have to study the species of animal that you're interested in and learn techniques of how to tell their age by looking at them. Like with the cow, you look at the length of their tail. You look at how much hair is on the edge of their ears. You look at the width of their nose. You look at how bony their spine is. There's several ways to age a cow. And also, I would mouth anything, which means check their teeth, of anything I'd buy. And I'd avoid buying from a sale barn. As a matter of fact, the best thing you could do is, when you do find the community that you want to move to, go make friends with people before you even move there. And get some team members that are going to help you get started. There again, that's going to take some time and effort and research. But I think you can. And if you're talking cows, well, cows can get very expensive. You can buy an old granny cow for four or five hundred dollars, but you're gambling. You can buy a cow that has obvious signs of lameness, or maybe her ears or tail have been chewed off. Maybe she limps. Sometimes you can pick those off for about 35 or 40 cents a pound. But there again, you don't know what you're getting. And so I would go to someone who's raising their animals as breeding stock, and I would buy good stock from the get-go and stay away from the sale barns. And one rule of thumb is that if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And with the care of the animals, again, find out what kind of animal that you're interested in. And if you don't know that, just research them all. And after you start reading and really learning the different ins and outs of these different animals, some of these animals are going to catch your imagination. You're going to go, I want that. And another animal, you're going to go, eh, not so much. And so that's how you're going to weed out the two or three that you're going to actually specialize in. Now, personally, you mentioned ducks and chickens. Well, I would stay away from ducks. Geese would probably be a little bit better than ducks because you can get more meat off of a goose. And goose meat is actually tastes better than ducks. And you didn't mention turkeys. And, but geese are aggressive and turkeys can be aggressive. And I don't care for duck eggs, and I don't like duck, so, so I wouldn't have a duck on the place. I think that 
The little ducklings are cute. Same way with rabbits. I think rabbits make great pets. I would never be able to butcher one. I just couldn't do it. Because rabbits get to know you and they enjoy your company. And you go feed them every day. Then one day you grab them by the ears and you slaughter them. And now nah, I can't do that. I can't do that to my chickens either. And so what I do personally is I feel like I partner with my animals. I don't feel like I own the animals. I don't treat my animals like they're just a number. And this is one thing that I don't do, is I don't put ear tags in my cows. The main reason I don't is that that's just one more time that you stress them. Now, if they're baby calves, it's easier to do. But if they're older cows, there's no use putting them through a chute and stressing them. Now, if you're doing it as a business and you need concrete records, well, that's a different story. But if you're growing them for your own use and growing just a few head, there's no need to bother with ear tagging. And I don't have a large herd of cows, but it's not real small either. And I can go out and scratch any one of my cows. And when they calve, they let me go up and check the calf and make sure he's okay. And I don't have to fear for mama cow coming and eating my lunch, so to speak. I keep my animals content and I treat them like partners. And that's just personally how I do business with my animals. And of course, you have to understand what foods that they need and what kind of mineral and salt and what other special care they may need. I guess an example is if you're going to go with cows, don't go buy a bunch of pregnant cows and learn how to calve out cows before you know anything about calves. You'd be much better off getting a bottle calf and and having the calf help train you because bottle calves are very demanding. Same way with sheep. And speaking of sheep, there's not very much market for wool, and so unless you have a use for the wool itself, it's more trouble than they're worth because since wool is not worth anything, the people that shear sheep are very hard to find, and they're getting very expensive, and sheep are very high maintenance, and sheep love to go through fences, as do pigs. And the hog industry has been absolutely destroyed by all the big packers, and that's a whole other story. It used to be you could go out and pick up some piglets for 10, 15 bucks because you had dozens of farmers that actually fed out a small amount of pigs. But a lot of the sale barns that sell pigs are just non-existent. They just don't sell pigs anymore. And so unless you are located in an area where there's lots of hogs, you might want to stay away from them just for that fact. Sheep and pigs are fairly hard to find a market for to resell. Goats are a little bit easier to resell, in my opinion. I would stay away from donkeys and horses and things that you don't have a need for. Unless the horse is broke and you like the pleasure ride, well, then that's a different story. But if you're just wanting a pet, stay away from horses and get a dog. That's my best advice. And I'm going to end with how to know if the land is fertile. Well, that's pretty easy to do. Number one. Find out what grew on the land traditionally. Let's say that you decide to locate in central Kansas. Well, first of all, you find out what God put on the prairie. Was it short grass? Was it tall grass? What is the native plants that grow? That will tell you what the land is suited for. I know they grow lots of corn in central Kansas, but they have to really pour the water to it. You can grow about anything with modern fertilizer and a way to water it. 
But I find that it's more advantageous to work with nature and work with what God intended to grow there in the first place. And so if it's native grassland, then I would grow wheat or oats. I'd grow a grass. If it's bottom land and it's weedy, well, then you can grow corn. Anything that'll grow really tall weeds will grow corn. And another good way is just to go to the area and look at what everybody is growing in that area because they got it all figured out and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. If your area has lots of corn, well, you know that you can grow corn. And anything that'll grow corn will likely grow about anything. Now, wheat on corn ground is a little unforgiving at times because sometimes that ground could be a little bit damp for wheat. That's why you don't have a lot of wheat in Iowa, but you do in western Kansas. It's just the difference of rainfall. And also, before you rent or buy a place, simply get the soil tested. Find out the pH balance of the soil. Find out if it's acidic or alkali. And then simply research what crops will thrive and whatever the base of your soil is. And so it all boils down to spending several hours a day researching. And you could become an expert and possibly never, ever become a homesteader. But you'll know the ins and outs of what it takes to where maybe you could help someone else because of all your research. But learning is a good thing. And I'm glad that you sent me the email, and I hope that I helped you. I hope that something that I said will steer you the right direction. And again, I'm here to help. Send me an email at jim at offgridliving.faith if you have any questions. And I would ask that you would consider supporting my efforts here at the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. And I take checks, money orders, and cash. You'd write the checks out to Thunderbolt West Media. You would mail to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, Hershey, Nebraska. And the zip code is 69143. And I really do appreciate all the donations, and I appreciate you listening. And until next time, everyone, stay strong, stay especially vigilant. The world is getting very dangerous. Do not get caught flat-footed. Really study and learn as much as you can about becoming self-sufficient. Keep your powder dry. But most important of all, replace fear with faith. This is Jim Calhoun with the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. The song Step Out on the Sea is performed by Britt Small and Festival. Thank you for listening to Thunderbolt West Media.